Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So here we have this dysfunctional family that's going on. And you know the rest of the story. Jacob decides one day to send Joseph to check on his brothers who are keeping the sheep. And Joseph shows up. The brothers say, hey, this is our chance to get rid of our little stinker. And so they decide we're going to throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit, and then they sell him to a caravan. And their plan is that we're going to go back and tell Jacob that Joseph has been killed. That's where we pick up in verse 29. And when Reuben returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And you can just see the hypocrisy there. And he identified it and he said, it's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning, Sheol being the place of death. Thus his father wept for him. Verse 36, meanwhile, may God add a blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. Meanwhile, we discovered that last week the story of Jacob really hinges on this one statement, meanwhile. And and we went through it in, in great detail What was going on that while Jacob is grieving the loss of his son, meanwhile, back in Egypt, things are happening with Joseph that Jacob had no idea were going on. Conversely, Joseph rises to second in command over Egypt. Meanwhile, back in Canaan, things are happening with Jacob that Joseph had no idea were happening. There were these simultaneous events, and we would use the word meanwhile. Meanwhile, while Jacob is grieving, Joseph is rising to power. Meanwhile, while Joseph is rising to power, God is working in Jacob's life. In fact, what we learned last week is that neither Joseph nor Jacob had any clue what was happening in the life of the other, but God did. Amen? Meanwhile, God was at work in Joseph's life and Jacob's life in such a way that they ended up being reu- reunited. Look over at verse four, chapter 46 excuse me, and verse 28. So here we have this story of these two people, neither knowing what is happening in either one's life, but God is working in supernatural ways. And it says in verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. 
Then Joseph prepared his chariot, verse 29, and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. We had this tremendous event 22 years later. 22 years later, we find Joseph and Jacob being reunited with one another. 22 years after Jacob thought that Joseph was dead, he sees Joseph alive. 22 years after Joseph was thrown into the pit and thought that he would never see his family again, here he is with his family. If you'll move on with the slide there. God was at work, and his work ended up reuniting Jacob and Joseph. But God and this is what we began to learn last week. God was doing so much more than simply reunited him. Last week, we began looking at the, the theology of the meanwhile. The theology of the meanwhile, because if you read the Scripture, you see this concept of meanwhile all throughout the Word of God. And what is this theology of the meanwhile? Well, we built a statement last week. It's in your notes. It says this, that God is at work in his world, if you go to the next slide, accomplishing his eternal plans and purposes for our lives as a part of his grand and glorious kingdom plan. That's the meanwhile, that God is at work in his world accomplishing his eternal plans and also accomplishing his plans for us as a part of his kingdom plan. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, number one, we saw last week, it means that God is at work in his world. God is at work in his world. We're not deists. The deists say that God created the world and he left it to unfold as it chose to unfold. And uh, he'll come back someday later on and uh, wind it all up. So it's kind of like a clock, like the old clocks that you would wind up. And when it ran out, then you'd come back and wind it back up. That's what God does. So God's not involved in his world. But that's not biblical theology. The Word of God teaches very clearly that God is engaged. God is working in his world. But second of all, we discovered that God is accomplishing his eternal plans and his purposes. You see, there was more at play with Joseph and Jacob than simply God putting or bringing back a father and son together. Certainly that was a part of it. But there was so, so much more than just that. There were eternal plans and purposes, as we're going to see in a little while, that God was carrying out. And the wonderful thing to know is that nothing can thwart God fulfilling his plans. Amen? I read a great verse, jotted down in your notes, Proverbs 21, verse 30 through 31. I read in my quiet time, it says, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord the horse, he's made ready for the day of battle. 
And a horse is an ominous creature. Yesterday, we had our grandkids, and we walked to the horse barn that's right next door to us. They, uh, they uh, house the uh, racing horses. And these big, majestic creatures, and we got to hang around with them. And they were, it was really neat. One of them even put his head right down here on my shoulder, and you realize this thing could kill me. It is a majestic creature. The horse is made ready for the day of the battle. Listen to this. But the victory belongs to the Lord. And that is, we can, we can have the mightiest of instruments. We can have the, the greatest instruments of warfare. But it is the Lord that ultimately gives the victory. God is accomplishing his eternal plans. But then third of all, I want you to see that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives as a part of his eternal plan and purpose. I want you to do me a favor this morning. I want you to close your eyes. Everybody's eyes closed. And I want you to go on an imaginary journey with me. Now, this is not a time to take a nap. This is not a time to think about your boyfriend or your girlfriend or what you're going to do this afternoon. I want you to think for a moment. I want you to be in this moment. I want you to imagine the Atlantic Ocean. Its vastness, its depth, its power. Hear its sounds that drowned out all the other sounds as the waves rumble and move about. Now I want you this morning to drop yourself into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with a flotation device. What does it feel like? What does it sound like? How insignificant do you feel? And now I want you to leave your body there and launch yourself into space like the astronauts would. Cast back down upon the earth and you see the blue of the oceans and try to see yourself. How do you feel? Look this way for a moment. You can look this way. If you're like me, you feel pretty insignificant, don't you? This little dot in the middle of this massive body of water overwhelming enough just in that scenario, but then when you launch yourself into space and you find yourself miles and miles and miles and miles above planet earth and you're looking down and you're trying to find yourself in the midst of that ocean, 
you begin to feel even more insignificant. Now think about your life in comparison to the universe. And then eternity. And then God. How do you feel? You can feel pretty insignificant. And if you don't believe there's a God, it's natural to feel that way. If you believe that all that happened is that we evolved into this and we're nothing more than a circumstance, a chance, an accident, a happening, then in the context of the wider universe, we are even more insignificant. And might I say maybe even useless. You're lost in the billions and billions of years. But even when God's brought into the picture, you begin to say, who am I? I mean, look around the room here. Look around. Look at the people in the room here. Anybody here? The President of the United States? Anybody here a famous congressman, senator? Anywhere here a billionaire? If you are, I want to meet you. You know what I see when I look around this room? And I hope you see the same when you look at me as just a simple, everyday, common person. And it's easy for us in the context of life and God to begin to feel that we are insignificant. But I want to answer from the story of Joseph, who are we in the scheme of God's eternal plan and purpose? That God is at work in his world accomplishing his eternal plans and purposes. Now listen to this. For our lives as a part of his glorious and grand kingdom plan. I want you to let that marinate for a moment. This is one of those things that you let it just sit there for a moment. But I'm going to ask you to go on an imaginary journey with me again. So close your eyes. For those of you who are sleepy, you're catching up on your rest. Close your eyes for a minute. And now in your mind, I want you to draw an imaginary circle right in front of you. Have you got a drum? And I want you to imagine now that you step inside that circle. Are you inside of it? Are you standing in that circle right now? Okay. Now I want you to listen to this statement. God is at work in his world accomplishing his eternal plans and purposes for the person inside the circle as a part of his grand and glorious plan. Now look this way. Did you hear what I said? Because I want you to understand that 
this is not just about Joseph and about Jacob. It's about what God is doing today and what he wants to do in your life and in my life. And that we are a part of this bigger plan that God is involved in. I want you to consider some things as we think about this story of Jacob and Joseph and we look at our own lives. That letter A, God's plan for our lives is personal. If you want to go to the next slide for me. God's plan for our lives is personal. God's work in Joseph's life was a very personal thing. He was not cookie cutter. It was not what he did with everybody else. It was very, very unique. And I want you to understand today, my friends, that whoever you are, wherever you are, God's plan for us is unique. God's plan for us is unique. Next slide. It's unique in so many ways. It's unique in our physical birth. Look, look at Psalm 139. It's on the screen there. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. There's that image of the beach, the ocean. I'm as insignificant as a speck of sand in the beach, and yet you are mindful of me. You are the one that has formed me and shaped me and uniquely created me. You see, what the world wants to do is it wants to cookie cut us. It, all, it wants to all make us think the same way, act the same way, look the same way. If you don't believe that, go to the stores, watch the, the, uh, the entertainment shows. It's all about being like that other person. But I want you to understand that God made you unique. And when you think about that for a moment, billions of people have lived on this planet and every single one of them is unique. And you say, how can that be? I don't know. Ask the same God that makes every single snowflake uniquely different. But then we're unique in our spiritual birth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to me. We are twice born to God. We are born physically where he intricately weaved us and formed us in our mother's womb. And we are uniquely born again into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ with a unique gifting and a unique purpose that God has given to every single one of us. In our spiritual birth, God equips and calls us uniquely to make an impact for his kingdom. Uniquely. There is something uniquely special that God has for you that I will never experience, that Pastor Greg will never experience, that Caleb will never experience, and no one else in this room, it's unique to you. 
Now you say, how can that be? I don't understand the magnitude and the majesty of God, how he can be uniquely involved in billions and billions of life. But when I read the story of Joseph and Jacob, I see God working in miraculous ways to do something unique that he had designed them specifically for. But then might I say also that his plan for us is best? Now, again, we've got to try to put ourselves in the context of these characters of Joseph and Jacob. Because we know the end of the story, so it's easy for us to jump over there and go, wow, what a great life. But understand, there were 22 years of hell, especially for Jacob. And if you don't think that Jacob, the father that loved Joseph more than anyone else because he was the firstborn of the wife that he loved so dearly, if you don't think that there was not a day that passed away that he did not think about his son and grieve for him and live in a virtual hell, you don't understand the pain of loss. And if you don't think that Joseph didn't struggle when he watched his brothers throw him into a pit, and then listen to them as they bargain and barter with the, the Midianite traveler or tra caravan about what they would sell him for. And then suddenly he's jerked out of a pit and he's yanked away from his family and he's taken off into a foreign country that he had no idea about where he would become a slave, but eventually he would rise to power. If you don't think there weren't times in Joseph's life where he was saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. And then he rises to prominence in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. But Joseph says, no, I won't do that. I won't allow that. And he stands for righteousness and purity. And then that woman turns around and accuses him of adultery, and he ends back up in a prison again. You think Joseph was going, man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. This, this is, I'm just having the time of my, I'm having a party. You think that's the way it was for Joseph? I have to believe that there were times that both of them struggled to understand God's plan and understand how this could all be for good. And when life takes that unexpected twist and turn and brings hardship and suffering, it causes us to question God. But you see the verse up there? You know it. For I know the plans that I have for you. And what do we learn about God's plans? They will not be what? Thwarted. Say that with me. Come on, you got the masks on, but you can say it. Say it. Thwarted. God will accomplish. But notice what he says, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, folks, we find ourselves at different stages of our life where we wonder what in the world God is doing, and it doesn't feel very good, and it doesn't seem very good. But God says, I have a future and hope. Jesus said this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is the devil. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. What is he saying here? My way is best. My way 
is best for our lives. Again, it doesn't always seem that way. It doesn't always play out that way in terms of how we figure things out. When I entered the ministry back in 1983, if you would have told me that this is the way my life would have unfolded, I would have said, let me off this bus. I'm going somewhere else. And even today, you know, I'm still on this bus and I'm kind of looking out the window going, where in the world is this bus going? Oh, by the way, God, are you aware that I'm 63 years of age? Don't I look good for 63? Say amen. Thank you very much. I needed that today. But I'm wondering, where's this bus going? I don't understand the journey that I'm on. And, and, and I would lie to you if I didn't say there were times that I said, God, this doesn't seem very good. And there were times that I put myself in that ocean, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, with the waves crashing away, and God is somewhere way out there, and I felt like I'm just lost in this ocean. But this one thing I do know, he has a plan for my life, and ultimately it's best. Stay with him. But then second of all, as we think about this, God's plan for our lives is kingdom-focused. It's kingdom-focused. Now this is very important if you, go to, if you think about it for a moment. God was building his kingdom through Jacob, and Joseph. I'm going to prove it to you this morning because I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 1. Go to Matthew chapter 1 if you would this morning. Will you? Now Matthew chapter 1, this is everybody's favorite portion of scriptures for their quiet time. The genealogies. I mean, this doesn't just inspire you. And so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so, and you're going, praise God, isn't this wonderful? They're begatting everybody. And you write in your devotional journals about all the begattings that are going on. You know what I'm saying. But look at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of who? Say that again. I can't hear you. Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah. And then you get all the begattings, begattings, Davids, all these other folks come riding through there until you get to Jesus. Now, from Joseph and Jacob's perspective, all they understood is that they had been united and that by Joseph being in power, Jacob and his sons were saved. But there was so much more at work than they would ever understand. His plan for us is personal. Write this down. His plan for us is personal, 
but it is not about us. His plan for us is personal to us, but it's not about us. His plan for us is about building His kingdom. Being a part of His kingdom plan that that He is unfolding in our world and through eternity. What does that plan involve? Well, first of all, God's plan for our lives will always be redemptive. It will always be redemptive. God used Jacob and Joseph to save, redeem, and restore Israel. Because you see, if Joseph had not gone to Egypt, and if Jacob had not faced starvation, then Jacob would have never gotten to Joseph. Joseph would have never been able to save Jacob. Jacob would have died. The sons would have died. The line of Jesus would have died. So God was being redemptive. In fact, take your Bibles and just go over a little further to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're already in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, says this, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to flesh, for even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new is come. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Please understand, ladies and gentlemen, that God's plan for our lives will always be redemptive. That God will use us in significant ways to impact the lives of people. I'm sure that simple little shoe salesman that was fitting the shoes of a young man while he was witnessing to him and led him to Christ, Dwight L. Moody, who became one of the greatest evangelists. And if you follow the chain of events that took place subsequent to that, generationally, the people that Moody reached led to others, to others, to others, to a guy named Billy Sunday, who introduced a guy named Billy Graham to Jesus Christ. And it all began with a simple shoe salesman. Folks, it doesn't get any more simple than that. In this vast expanse of what God was doing in in his kingdom work, there was a simple little shoe salesman 
that just knew that God had a plan for his life. He didn't understand it. He didn't see the bigger picture of it all, but he was being redemptive, and God used him to introduce one of the greatest evangelists who who God used to save one of the greatest evangelists who led someone who became the greatest evangelist, and on it went until it landed with one that we know, Billy Graham. You know the only one that can do that? God. But second of all, God's plan for our lives is eternal. You see, Jacob and Joseph, like all of us, only think thought about the here and now, but surviving, getting through it, but getting through this season of grief and getting through the season of suffering in the prison, getting through the season of famine, but God sees the eternal. You see, we focus on the now. God focuses on the eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you're already there. Just back up a little bit. Verse 1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this earthly tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would rather be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing, this eternal destiny, is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. This is where you say amen. Amen? We are a part of God's redemptive plan, building His eternal kingdom. I feel that way too. And and it sounds exciting here, but you know what can happen to us very easily? We can kind of become blue-collar Christians. You know what a blue-collar Christian is? God is building his kingdom. I'm just this little peon on the line making him rich. You mean that's what it's all about? I'm about just building his kingdom? Au contraire, Pierre. Because I want you to go over to Revelation. Don't lose your place. Because I want you to see something about this eternal kingdom that God is building, that we are uniquely a part of. As we read Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang, that is, the creatures, a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll. And there's a whole other message on this scroll, what it is. And to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, the United States, Ohio, Groveport, Ohio. And look at this. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall what? Reign. Say that with me. Reign. 
Do you understand, my friends, what God is saying here? He is saying that we are a part of his greater, grander plan. He has something unique for us, and we are a part of building this eternal kingdom that God is building, not just so that he gets to enjoy it, but we are going to literally reign in this kingdom. This is your retirement plan, friends. This is your spiritual 401k. And guess what? The stock markets can't affect it. COVID can't affect it. Congress can't affect it. China can't affect it. Putin can't affect it. Your wife can't affect it. Your employer can't affect it. It is yours. You are a part of it. And God has brought you into this grander scheme. Now, folks, if that doesn't ring your bell, you need to get a new clapper. As a part of God's kingdom, we get to reign. Jacob and Joseph who seemed insignificant in that moment. Remember, they didn't have the Scriptures to put this into the larger context for them. They are in the midst of this whole experience, and God was doing something, and now they are reigning and ruling with Him. You're not that insignificant little dot. Say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not all this. I don't care. Meanwhile, because when we're in the meanwhile, the waters can get pretty murky. You've been watching Shark Week. Uh-huh. What happens when the waters get murky? There are things looming below that we don't see. And when we're in the meanwhile, it gets kind of confusing. And sometimes it can be full of questions. Again, if Joseph was human, there were times sitting in a dark, dank prison cell twice. He's got a lot of questions. The first book probably written in the Bible, Job. You can tell about a lot of questions. I hear some of these songs, new songs coming out. Don't ask questions why. Questions won't, the why questions won't bring the answers. Well, if you just say that we shouldn't ask why, you just lost about half the Bible. <laughs> we lose the dream. We lose heart. We get discouraged. Sometimes we get depressed. We get impatient. There's setbacks. There's uncertainty. And, and let me tell you something else about the meanwhile. A lot of times it's just really mundane and monotonous. See, we, we, we got to remember, we compressed 22 years into a few chapters. But there were a lot of days that Joseph just got up and he went through the root, rut and routine. Your life ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of life is that mundane, setbacks, and go. sometimes God can seem very far away. So I want to close out this morning, close out our two-part message with some tips. Some tips for living 
in the meanwhile. The first is trust. Trust. I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to continue to thumb through a few pages and look over at Hebrews chapter 11. Because you know the chapter 11 is the faith chapter. And Joseph is found in the midst of this faith chapter. Because he had to trust God through this whole process because there were a lot of things going on around him that Joseph had no control over. He had no ability to fix. There were things that were beyond his ability. And he had to trust God. And it says in verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Now look at the next and that he rewards those who seek him. We have to believe that God rewards, that God does do what he says he's going to do, even when we don't see it. Now, I want to say something about trust. It does not mean we never doubt, and it does not mean we never question. It does not mean we never waver. I mean, Abraham is known as the man of faith, and he's listed here as the first one in line. We see him over in Rome. But do remember that after God gave him the promise guess what? that he would have a son, guess what Abram did? He said, okay, I know. I'll get this son through Hagar. That's how it's going to happen, and he went off and did it. You know what that was? That was an act of unbelief. So belief doesn't mean we're not going to waver. Moses struck the rock in anger. Moses was the first Baptist pastor. It made him so mad he just said, But as you read all of these, the promises were fulfilled. But listen, listen, not all of them were fulfilled in their lifetime. read it sometime. It says some of them saw something bigger beyond the physical earth that they saw. Second of all is integrity. Read the story of Joseph and you'll see here a man of integrity. It's everywhere. He demonstrated integrity in his relationship with God He demonstrated integrity in his relationship with his employer. That's why they all trusted him. They trusted him. Potiphar made him second in command of his house. Pharaoh made him second in command over all of Egypt. You don't do that unless you trust him. We've all been watching what's going on with Trump and all that people betraying. In every presidency, we see that. But Joseph was a man of integrity in his relationship. He was a man of integrity in his relationships with others, even when the woman wanted him. She wanted him. He said, "Uh uh-uh, you belong to Potiphar, and I serve Potiphar, and I will not betray his loyalty to me. This is a huge piece of living life in the meanwhile. Because let me tell you something that will get tested real quickly when you're in the meanwhile. It is your integrity.
Proverbs 2, verse 6 and 7 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom from the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Proverbs 2, 21. For the upright will inhabit the land, Jacob, Joseph, and those with integrity will remain in it. 1 Corinthians says, Moreover, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. Because, see, integrity is the same as faithfulness. Caleb and I were talking about trucks. And, and you know, when they're building that frame for the truck, we were talking about the Ford F-150s and now that they're aluminum, you, you want that frame to have integrity, don't you? Because you don't want to be driving down the road pulling your trailer and suddenly realize your trailer and the back bed of your truck are laying on the side of the road and you're still going. You want there to be integrity. And we need integrity. But third of all, we need perseverance. Joseph never quit. How would you respond if you were hated by your brothers? How would you respond if your brothers threw you into a pit? How would you respond if you were sold as a slave to a caravan, worked as a slave, falsely accused of rape, thrown into a prison, forgotten by those people that were with you? How would you feel? You'd say, this is for the birds. I'm on my own. I'm going to do what I want to do. But Joseph always persevered. We're always inspired by those who persevere great hardship and come out on the other side. And I'm afraid today we're not seeing those kind of people being produced. At the first sign, it gets hard. We quit. In fact, Jesus talked about that when he talked about the seed, didn't he? That some seed would be thrown out and it would land on the hard soil. And when the hardships came and the sun began to bear down, it, it withered up and died. Why? Because it didn't endure. And, and they're not enduring and persevering. It did not get to experience the blessing of the fruitfulness of the Word. Listen, my friends, in these seasons of meanwhile, you just sometimes you just have to put on your big boy pants and endure. You have to suck it up. You have to get a little backbone. Because all of this is in light of God's bigger plan, His eternal plan. This is so small. Come on, folks. Say amen with me. This COVID thing is so small in light of the bigger thing that God is doing. And we're a part of that. Stay with him. And then finally, seek him. Seek him. Seek first his kingdom, and everything else will be added unto you. Amen? So what's the big takeaway as we close out today from the story of Jacob and Joseph in the meanwhile? Well, you know, I hope this won't offend you. My wife may cringe. She never knows what I'm going to say. But my boys and I like to watch Tennessee football. Now, that's not what causes her to cringe, but it should, based on how bad we've been. But there are times when the game looks like it's over. Caleb knows what I'll say. 
the game ain't over until the fat lady sings. The game ain't over till the fat lady sings. Now, I don't know where in colloquial English we came up with that, but what it means, the game ain't over till it's over. Listen, I want you to say it this way. It ain't over till God gets done doing what he is doing. Did you hear what I just said? Did you just hear what I said? It ain't over until God gets done doing what he is doing. I don't think you heard me because I see a bunch of dead Baptists. I'm going to say it again. It ain't over till God gets done doing what he is doing. Including your life. Don't lay down the book of your life assuming you know how it's going to all end. That's over. God's not through writing your book. Don't lose hope, but hope in the God who holds your future. Wherever you find yourself today, God isn't finished yet. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Why a message like this? I don't know why for you, but I know for me because I'm in a meanwhile moment. Meanwhile, things aren't unfolding like I thought they would. Meanwhile, COVID is doing what it's doing. Meanwhile, riots. Meanwhile, secularism and humanism and atheism are seeming to win the day. Meanwhile, churches are closing their doors. Meanwhile, meanwhile, meanwhile. And it's easy when you're in that meanwhile, as I said earlier, you can get to a very dark place. For a moment this morning, I just wanted to take you on a journey into eternity and say that meanwhile, God is working and it ain't over till he's done doing what he's doing. In your life, as a part of his greater and grander kingdom plan. If you're here today and you haven't come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it ain't over yet. God can redeem all those years that you've spent away from Him and do something bigger and greater than you could ever imagine. But it has to begin this morning with you making a decision. It's time this morning to get off the fence. It's time to give your life to Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're in that meanwhile season, I want you to be reminded of whose you are and who it is that's working through you. So we're going to sing in this song in a moment. He's the way maker.
miracle worker. And he didn't stop with Jacob and Joseph. And he isn't just interested in the big dudes. Right now, you are the most important thought in God's mind right now. Him? Will you live with integrity? Will you hang in there with him and persevere and seek him with all your heart and your mind? We're going to sing this song. If you need to come this morning and pray, you come. If you need to come and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and you need to talk with me, I have a mask. I'll have it on for you if you need me to. Because I don't want anything to stand between you stand as we sing. Lord Jesus, now have your way in this invitation. You are the way maker.